But ultimately, you know, our, our vision for the future is a world in which everyone recognizes the talents that different people have. And we learn to take advantage of these to inform teams where we can all profit from each other's skills and abilities and show mutual respect. Well, I want to thank you both for joining us. This is such an interesting topic. Whenever we get to discuss neurological diversity, I always get excited about this. The dyslexic advantage, unlocking the human potential of the dyslexic brain. We're joined with Fernet and Brock ID. And this is not the first time the book has been released. It's been over a decade since this book has been dropped. What is the, the background between you two? How did you get started on this subject? So we were... Uh actually both working at the University of Chicago in the late 1990s uh, when we had uh, two children. We were, we were on the medical faculty and had two children that um, started to show signs of uh, various learning issues. And we became really interested in helping them and found that when we tried to find information on what we should do to help them, we got a lot of different answers from a lot of different people, but it was very hard to find people that seemed to have the whole picture on learning. So we got more and more interested in looking ourselves into the literature and began studying into learning and development. And eventually, over the course of a number of years, that turned into our, our professional occupation. So for the last 20 years, we've worked with, uh, with children and adults to have learning differences. And that was the start of our, of our interest in this field. What has started as a book has now become an entire way of reorganizing learning. Uh, your website, dyslexic, dyslexicadvantage.org, has a whole bunch of different sites. And you also had a few TEDx talks as well. I was watching uh, one from 2011. You had a previous book, The Turkey and the Crow. What is the difference between The Turkey and the Crow when it comes to teaching? Yes. Yeah, so um, with The Turkey and the Crow, the difference that we were trying to get to is the fact that um, when we look at students who are labeled with learning differences, very, very often what we're seeing is that there are students who have difficulties with a branch of learning that's called procedural learning, which is the ability to kind of automate responses to complex cues in the environment. So it, it covers everything from learning information by rote to learning the kinds of basic skills that form the basis for uh, writing and for reading and for doing your math facts and things like that. And those are essentially uh, what we called the, the turkey uh, skills. They're the hardwired skills that, uh, that are automated, that don't require much thought. And uh, for an example for that, we used the kind of uh, mothering behavior of turkeys when there was any kind of threat to their infants. They, they, undergo, uh, they underwent a, a series of kind of stereotyped responses where it was the same way with every turkey uh, anywhere in the world that you would find, you would give it a certain stimulus and it would respond the same way. For people that don't automate skills well, and that includes a lot of people with ADHD, it includes most people with dyslexia, it includes a lot of people with autism spectrum issues and kids with motor problems and dyspraxia, they don't learn to automate skills very well. So what they're doing all the time is using their more conscious problem-solving sol uh, systems. And we use the analogy of the crow for those learners because instead of, uh, instead of resorting to these automated responses, they're coming up with clever solutions and thinking their way through things. And when you look at kids that are struggling to learn to read and to write and you look at what their brains are doing, they're actually trying to perform 
these these skills that a lot of people are using these automated response centers to, to perform. Uh, they're using the centers that are involved in creativity and creative problem solving. So they're actually building up these creativity centers. And this is, we think, the reason why there are so many adults with things like uh, uh, dyslexia and ADHD and, and some of the autism spectrum disorders that develop these tremendous skills as adults because they've been practicing these these alternative pathways their whole life. So they become the clever crow that can design new solutions for problems. Yeah. It's like, um, you know, on demand, there are some kids, you'll, you'll have a question, and immediately the hands will shoot up. Well, the crow-type students won't necessarily be the quickest ones to answer. They may come up with an unusual either question back or an unusual answer, and that's, that's the value of crow thinking, you know, as well as sometimes turkey thinking. <sighs> I know which one I'd prefer to have at Thanksgiving, but I also know which one I'd rather hang out with as well. Um, we're speaking <laughs> with Fernet and Brock ID, the dyslexic advantage unlocking the human potential of the dyslexic brain. And I, as I was doing a little background prep for this interview, I came across the term social modeling, and I realized that's exactly what is happening in our classrooms. We have three large types of thinking, photorealistic visual thinking, verbal auditory, and patterned mathematical thinking. And it seems like public schools are really set up for patterned mathematical thinking, which really goes into what you just mentioned about procedural learning. And there's a lot of minds that just don't think that way. That's, that's absolutely true. And I think that that's one of the things we really tried to stress in this uh, new update to the Dyslexic Advantage in the chapter that we have on education, which is there's, um, there's been a lot of focus on improving the ability to learn the basic skills. And that's definitely important. But for pretty much all of the students with ADHD and with dyslexia and with autism spectrum disorders, their, their difficulties don't just focus around one particular areas of, area of the curriculum, uh, and they don't all focus around problem areas either. They, the, dif- the differences go really across the board in, uh, in how these students learn. And it's really important for us to think as a society in organizing our schools that we shouldn't just be looking at trying to get students up to basic levels of competence, but we should be thinking about how different kinds of students learn best and how they create and what kind of adults are on the way to becoming and what kind of skills they're, uh, they're developing. And we should be building on those strengths as well. So when we are focusing on the advantage of dyslexia, what, what exactly is this advantage? What, what does it break down to? So in the, uh, in the first book, we described four patterns of strength that we had observed in the, the patients that we worked with and that we had found supported in the medical and scientific research literatures. And they were essentially uh, spatial ability, the ability to make various kinds of connections, the ability to, uh, to see things in terms of narrative or events rather than abstractions and dictionary definitions. Stories often. And, uh, and then uh, the ability to make predictions. And we call these the mind strengths, and we had uh, an acronym for each of those, those strength patterns. And it turns out, uh, as we talk about in the new edition of the book, that over the intervening 12 years since we published the first one, there's been a lot of research that's been done looking in areas like creativity and uh, higher-order problem-solving. And it turns out that these four strength patterns are all connected uh, at a very deep levels of, of brain processing 
through the part of the brain's memory system that really focuses on remembering the world as kind of lifelike experiences mm. or episodes rather than breaking down memories into to more abstract or automatic responses like we talked about before. So it's the branch of memory that's called episodic memory. And people with dyslexia and also a lot of people with ADHD have tremendous talents in using their their personal memory system, their episodic memory system, to make simulations out of out of uh, their memories that allow them to think about the, wor- the world, either the real world or an imaginary world that they can create up, uh, think of all sorts of hypothetical scenarios, and actually play out in their mind uh, like they're uh, almost uh, holding a, a, a theater production or or a movie in their head to uh, to do all those things we talked about, to reason about spatial things, to reason about systems and connections, to reason about uh, actions, personal actions in the past, or uh, stories, or uh, ways that you can tell a story to convince somebody, and uh, and to make predictions about things. So that that's really the connection. It's this really strong ability to use memories of things that have happened in life, or things that you've heard about or learned about, to restage these lifelike productions. And that's as opposed to making more step-by-step rule-based kind of problem-solving attempts. Well, it's interesting that dyslexia falls in the same category as ADHD or maybe OCD, ADD, a few of those of which I have myself. And they're often called disorders, but it really is a reordering of the mind. Because especially when you mention the interconnectedness of being able to take these disparate ideas and connect and find new patterns and relationships, that is an ability that really can help and benefit society see new ways of tackling old problems. But unless you develop those kids properly in their formative years, they're never going to have the confidence to actually apply those skills in the real world. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I think that, that becomes a tremendous issue if you get a mismatch and you don't see really all that a student is bringing with them in having a different way of solving problems and coming up with ideas and synthesizing information. If it's a disconnect, with it, particularly with a, a way that, that subjects are taught or a teacher then a student can feel like something's wrong with them, and then it's just a, an awful combination. And putting your finger on the confidence piece was was really exactly the right place because I think, you know, not only in a lot of ways are we failing to give the students positively uh, what they need to develop their talents, but we're actually in many cases leaving them worse off than they would have been without any help at all because we're getting right to the core of what they think about themselves as people, and we make them feel like they're broken people instead of highly functional people with a different set of talents. And that's really where we need to be uh, to changing our whole approach to dealing with these students. Speaking with Fernet and Brock, ID of the dyslexic advantage in locking the human potential of the dyslexic brain. As we wrap up here, you do have that website, the dyslexicadvantage.org. It's a whole different course. It's a whole different brand of material that people are not getting in public schools. But is, is the way to navigate this having separate forms of learning? Is there a way that we can teach minds that are maybe more pattern-based or maybe more visual auditory-based within the same school structure, or do we have to separate everything? You know, I think it's possible to, to accommodate both kinds of students, but it takes very intentional planning to do that. Um, one of the really interesting research findings over the last uh, over the last 10 years or so in the field of creativity has been that that, uh, not only people with ADHD and dyslexia tend 
to be more creative in certain kinds of ways. So using measures of what's called divergent creativity, people with ADHD and people with dyslexia score better than people without those conditions in these creativity tests. But they've also found that if you get people without ADHD and dyslexia to sort of take a few minutes and practice thinking like a dyslexic or ADHD person, and by that I mean to, to use these kind of very uh, elaborate personal memories that people with dyslexia have. So close your eyes and think about uh, something that you've encountered recently and think about all the details that you, can, uh, that you encountered with it. And that actually primes the mind to be more creative. So the kinds of techniques that work well for teaching students with ADHD and dyslexia can actually make students without those conditions more creative. And I think that, um, that we should be learning, actually, from these highly creative learners how the rest of us could function in a more, in a more creative and open kind of way. But ultimately, you know, our, our vision for the future is a world in which everyone recognizes the talents that different people have, and we learn to take advantage of these to inform teams where we can all profit from each other's skills and abilities and show mutual respect. And I think that's, if we can get any message across, that's really what we're trying to, to teach. Well, is there anything else you guys want to include about this fascinating conversation? Uh, we mentioned the website dyslexicadvantage.org if somebody has a question and maybe if they're looking for more material, but anything else you, you either want to include? Well, we, we do have a free monthly newsletter, so sign up for that for sure. And we, we do have, for instance, the writing awards that we have every year where, where spelling doesn't count. We're looking at ideas and storytelling. So we just love to have more people in that community and also share their stories. And I would say really quickly for parents who are concerned that their children may not be making the kind of progress in, in learning reading at school that they think they should be making, don't, uh, don't let that go for too long and do try to find out if, if there may be dyslexia or if the school is just not doing a good job at, at teaching. About two-thirds of students need phonics-based instruction to learn how to read well, and many schools are not providing that. So at uh, neurolearning.com, we also have a dyslexia screener uh, that, that uh, we offer, and uh, parents that are concerned their kids are not making progress uh, might want to look into that as well because it's very, very much easier to train students to read well early on if you can uh, pick up on their challenges. Well, thank you both for your time. We could probably talk for an hour. This is such a fascinating topic. I love it so much. And thank you for not pointing out all the different words I misspelled during this interview. <laughs> no problem. It, uh, never never trust a surgeon who can spell. And uh, we, think, uh, we think poor spelling is a sign of uh, something really good going on. So. Yeah. Pleasure. Well, Thanks for inviting us. Thank you so much. Take care. We were joined with Fernet and Brock Eide, authors of The Dyslexic Advantage, Unlocking the Hidden Potential of the Dyslexic Brain. You can find out more at dyslexicadvantage.org. The following interview was originally recorded February 20th of 2023.